Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert connected to an all-consuming evil that's going to suck the world into a fiery oblivion, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar Noelle LaCroix, and we're here today. I mean, not, not here, here. It's kind of complicated. To talk about <laughs> Conversations with Dead People, the seventh episode of season seven. Conversations with Dead People aired on November 12th, 2002 at 8.01 p.m. and was written by Jane Espenson and Drew Goddard and directed by Nick Mark. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that and we'll check communications. Check, 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 check. Let's go on patrol. Okay, today is one of those weird episodes without an up-top summary because Conversations with Dead People is not one episode but five short stories, so we're going to briefly summarize as we talk about each one. And honestly, I'd rather just get into the episode because today we have a special guest with us here. We have researcher and chipperish co-host of Still Dead, Orgasm, Big Strong Yes, and How Story Works, the lady who keeps us all intellectually honest by demanding that we define our goddamn terms, Dr. Kelly Jones. Welcome, Kelly. Hi! 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 Thank you. Round of applause. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for inviting me to the episode that I invited myself to when you started this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It is an open invitation. You can come and talk about any episode you want. I'm so glad that you chose this one because this one I think is going to be so fun to talk about. Um, It's a little bit different. It's one of those special episodes, you know, like Once More with Feeling or Hush, but it doesn't necessarily get the kind of play that those two episodes get. It's it's not as kind of in your face special, but it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to start as we always do every week on Still Pretty uh, with a general overall response to conversations with dead people. Uh, Let's go ahead and start with Noelle. Okay. So I remember feeling more strongly about this episode, Uh which is not to say that I don't love it because it is great. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But I think it must have felt even better when I watched the season rapid fire the first time through because it comes on the heels of the episode that Patriarchy built. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a swing. And the, the delta of quality there has quite a swing. So yeah, it may have a benefit from a bad lead in. How about you, Kelly? What do you think? I love this episode with Reckless Abandon, and it might be my favorite of the whole series. Damn. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. I mean, like I said, this is a special episode. This is done differently. We've got a different kind of approach. We've got a, a different aesthetic to a certain degree, although some of the aesthetic is in line with the rest of season seven it's just such an interesting episode um and it doesn't like i said it doesn't get the attention that once more with feeling or hush or whatever gets um but it is a literary piece of work which is five short stories strung together connected by one musical theme blue by angie hart it's fascinating to me how it is both connected and disconnected to borrow a word that comes up in Buffy's conversation, you know, connection Mm -hmm. is a theme. I mean, this is, this whole episode really is like hashtag themes, right? We could just talk about the themes forever. Um, But something I really love about it is this, this moment when Cassie shows up and she says, I knew this would completely freak you out. And she tells us the truth right away about what's going on and what we're going to see. And I just, I love it so much because it's, I mean, it's wonderful foreshadowing, but Cassie is also the person who was connected to death in life, at least Mm -hmm. in our experience of her on the show. And then everyone gets tormented where things feel most meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. So Buffy at work as the Slayer regarding her relationships, Dawn at home through her mother with the 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 overarching theme or idea of abandonment, mm-hmm. being alone is a big deal for Dawn. And then Willow at school, which is a huge source of of vulnerability for her, her intellect, but through mm-hmm. this this 
theme, this um, vulnerability of her relationship. And then Andrew is most interesting to me because his vulnerability, the thing that's meaningful to him is his lack of home. He doesn't really belong Mm -hmm. anywhere. He doesn't belong on the lamb. He doesn't belong in Mexico. He doesn't belong in Sunnydale. And he is targeted through his longing for connection. And it's, it's this like longing for connection or this vulnerability of connection that I find so fascinating about this episode thematically. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have Dude Bro telling us that everybody <laughs> feels alone. Everybody is until you die, which is such an mm-hmm. odd statement. Everybody is alone yeah. until you die. But I like the idea that these dead people are all the same entity, including vampires, that death Mm -hmm. itself is an entity. All right. So wait, I need you to elaborate on that a little bit because they're not all the first. So what are you meaning that like thematically we have death as an entity represented through all of these characters? Yes. This idea that Mm -hmm. that the connecting force is death. Yeah. That, that having that connection to death is what makes these these players a unit. Mm-hmm. Even though not all of them are the first, but they all have this... I mean, that that's what they have in common, right? Is being dead. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then... I no, mean, I love that. Yeah. So you're alone. Everybody is alone. So you are you mm-hmm. until you die and then you become dead and you join with everyone else who is dead by nature of being mm-hmm. dead. I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I think it's good. Um, now, I have to say every now and again, I feel the need to call out one of our topic subjects, um, you know, in the course of like we have our notes, we share our notes and everything. And every now and again, there's just a delightful topic title. That usually is just between us, but I feel like calling it out. Uh, so, Dr. Kelly Jones, we have a section here called Cite Your Corpses, <laughs> which coming from the queen of Cite Your Sources, I thought it was just delightful. So why don't you talk a little bit about those ideas? Sure. So I, I was thinking about this because I think the first is such a fantastic antagonist. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I, I think genius borrows but true evil plagiarizes and (laughs) (laughs) the the first is a spiritual fraud right it's weaponizing Mm -hmm. emotional torment like in such a way that angelus would feel all the tingles of true (laughs) inspiration and yeah by taking the form and the voice of those who have died the first crosses every boundary we have around identity and self autonomy truth and representation so it's spiritual Mm -hmm. plagiarism which is the worst kind of lie. And that is a brilliant storyline for a force of destruction that doesn't have physical form. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, and one of the things that I love about the first, I mean, the first is, you know, a, 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 an antagonist that becomes increasingly more disappointing as the series goes on. But at this point, you know, we are every season we've done something different with the big bad antagonist for the season and but it's always been something that Buffy could physically fight Mm -hmm. she could stab it through the heart she could blow it up in the library there was something she could do that she could physically fight the thing and defeat it and her power her supernatural ability is in the realm of the physical of the corporeal like we had early in season six the demon that she couldn't hit that didn't until it took physical form until they did a magic spell that made it take physical form and then she could hit it and that's how she could defeat it so here we have a demon that doesn't have physical form that is a psychological demon that is an emotional demon that brings us closer to the metaphors that we use these monsters to talk about you know um and i love at this point the potential for buffy to have to fight something in an area where she doesn't have the physical advantage, yeah. you know, where she has to fight it um, in an emotional and psychological space, I absolutely love. And especially with her story where she is being, you know, psychologically therapized, you know, by a vampire, which I love. We'll, we'll talk about that more when we get there. And this episode as an episode seven, which is always a turning point for every season, you know, uh, the episode seven is always powerful. It's always like the big 
moment um, in the season. Here we are. It, it felt like this was setting up something so interesting and so different, which I absolutely loved. But yeah, I love that that read on uh, on the first as being so incredibly freaking evil beyond what we've seen before in our, you know, latex snakes with arms, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Kelly, what else you got in our thematic discussion? So I was really interested here in in the the shift from familiarity to fear, because Mm -hmm. we have these five short stories. We have these five characters who each start out in an area where they have a lot of familiarity and maybe even comfort. because, you know, Buffy's in the graveyard where she has tons of competence and confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's now having to slay a vampire she went to high school with. And and her yeah. instinct is to kind of start talking to him like she's catching up with a friend, you know. Mm-hmm. And then what the first is doing kind of in that we're going to make sure Spike sires this vampire, you know, kind of thing is is sowing these fears and doubts when she is going to need Spike to become a champion. Like she is going yeah. to need mm-hmm. to trust him. And so it's it's like this whole thing is choreographed so that Buffy hears you are wrong. You cannot trust your own instincts. So that mm-hmm. that shift from here I was thinking I was in my element to fear. Like it's yeah. so well done. And, you know, Dawn is at home being very playful, practicing, you know, being the slayer. She's so stinking cute. <laughs> and. She's the only one who looks happy at the beginning. Everyone else looks yeah. like tired and resigned, you know, but mm-hmm. Dawn is Dawn is is really happy and she should be safe at home. You know, fighting mm-hmm. is fun when it's pretend and then it's about to get scary You're as right. hell. Um, you know, and then all her insecurities and abandonment with her mom and with Buffy comes up. So the first is trying to tell her you are alone, you cannot trust your sister. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then Willow at the library, you know, ends up being this battle between her intellect and her emotion because she knows Tara would not want her dead. She sees through mm-hmm. this very quickly after having that moment of, oh, my God, can I really be back with her? But I love this because you see Willow battling the idea of a limitation versus a delimitation. Mm-hmm. I could never do magic again versus I can do it within this scope. Like, where do I go? Where do I go? And I love that. Um, mm-hmm. But the first wants her to believe you are too much. You cannot trust your power. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, right. it's just so beautifully structured. Um, and then you have Andrew, you know, in this fiction versus life, this aspirational mm-hmm. self versus his actual behavior, you know, where the first wants him to believe you are not loved. You cannot trust mm-hmm. your own heart, which sets him up for some really dark shit. You know, and then you've got Spike very much at home in a bar with the Mm -hmm. man versus monster, human versus vampire. And the the first, you know, wants him to believe you are a soulless thing. You cannot trust yourself. And I Mm -hmm. just, oh, God, it's conversations. It's so freaking good. I just love it. It's so good. Isn't it? Well, it's so Mm -hmm. good because what you hit upon, Kelly, is the so conversations with dead people, right? It's on the surface. It is what it says on the tin, right? There are all of these conversations going on with dead people. But Mm -hmm. what you hit upon there is the internal dialogue or internal monologue that the first is creating. Because we see, you know, on the outside, we see all of these characters talking to or interacting with someone else, but they're really interacting with their own conversations within themselves. That's flipping brilliant. It's so, so good. good. Such a fabulous analysis. And it reminds me of at the end of season four, Spike, where he was playing on, he was psychologically messing with everybody and playing on their fears, right? And here we have the first doing that, getting into everybody's and separating them so they are all alone. And feel even more alone at the end, even when they're, you know, even, well, at the end of this, we don't see them getting together. Everybody still remains alone at the end of this, uh, at the end of this episode. Um, But that is the kind of thing that, that will separate you from people, even when you're with people, you know, Um, and all of that, sowing those seeds of doubt and fear and mistrust um, is such like a, a 
baller move from the first. <laughs> yeah. Like that is serious, like, you know, a serious psychological torment, which is one of the reasons why, again, love this so much because you cannot hit psychological torment in the face. You have to deal with it. And that is not where Buffy has her supernatural power, uh, which I love. Um, another thing, of course, Dr. Jones, having you here on the show is always a delight because you always have so many interesting things to say. But you were talking about the intersecting points of violence um, in these five stories. Yeah, I started thinking about it. Like I wanted to map this out like a five point star um, mm -hmm. because they're not exactly connected, but they are thematically connected. And I thought it was very interesting. So, like, my first question was, why these five? Like, what role mm -hmm. do these five people have to play at the for the finale of season seven? Right? You've got Buffy mm -hmm. and Dawn, Willow, Andrew, and Spike. We don't mm -hmm. get anything from Xander. You know, there are so many other characters who could have had conversations with dead people. We right. have a plethora of dead people to choose from to have exactly. these conversations you know like i was like <laughs> yeah what if the first had come to buffy as angel what if the first had come to dawn as glory or willow mm -hmm. as glory like there's so many possible mix and matches here but yeah. we get the five we get and then buffy and dawn have to defend against violent attacks willow andrew and spike are manipulated to commit violence and Willow mm -hmm. withstands that. She's not going to harm herself. But Spike and Andrew give in. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I just thought it was fascinating that you have these kind of contrasting uses of well, violence. Well, and that's in the seal, right? There's a five-point star yes. in the seal yeah. as well. So, I mean, I find that kind of interesting because I think that visually, you know, we're uh, reinforcing that idea of these, you know, five um, vertices, you know, mm -hmm. that have to be taken down. Um, and uh, and two of them stand and three of them, you know, or actually three of them stand, stand and two of them fall. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I love that. I think that's so great. Yeah. Noel, did you? Oh, I'm just sitting here. I'm just sitting here trying to. I'm <laughs> doing the thing that is super helpful on a podcast, which is when you have like a visual representation of something. <laughs> but I was trying to. I was trying to articulate how these five people are connected to each other through each other, right? So mm -hmm. Andrew is connected to Willow in the Willow killed Warren sense mm -hmm. but then and then i mean buffy and dawn obviously are connected because dawn i mean dawn is is trying to contact buffy in this episode mm -hmm. when everything is going on at home and buffy is not picking up her phone but i was trying i don't know i this is this is off the top of my head but i was trying to make that five-pointed star a point of connection where everybody each point touches two other points directly mm -hmm. but then indirectly touches all of the others through that game of telephone of connection but right that feels like something that that doesn't feel like something i can do off the top of my head in the moment but okay <laughs> yeah but I'm, that's okay you don't have to but i'm fascinated <laughs> by this question of like why these five people in this way why does the first of all of the dead people that the first could channel question mark right. um like why why these people why mm -hmm. does the first come to willow as cassie and not dawn as cassie i mean mm -hmm. because the first needs to torment dawn where it really really hurts which is her mother and her sister yeah mm -hmm. but it's such a it's such an interesting question and i love especially that Andrew doesn't question it. Andrew mm -hmm. wants, still wants this connection with Warren and believes Warren when he says dying was all part of the plan. <laughs> like, and then he says, can Willow kill me too? I know. I'm like, which is honey. so interesting from <laughs> oh, Andrew yeah. because he just so desperately wants to be with Warren. Well, he wants to be with Warren and he wants to be part of this grand story. thing. He wants to be part of the story, mm -hmm. which is he's constantly writing the story. And when we get to storyteller, yeah. 
Oh well, get my to God! See that you know in a in a yeah. really big way. But even when he and Jonathan are are at the high school, and mm-hmm. he's kind of like spinning this tale about we'll do this and then we'll do this and then we'll hang out at their house. And Jonathan looks at him like, yeah. "What now?" Like because the story took a turn for Andrew that Jonathan didn't anticipate. Right. So <laughs> something about that vulnerability to relationship certainly but through storytelling mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know i also i'm just kind of mad at this episode for how much i like andrew in it when i have no business liking yes. andrew as much as i do andrew yes andrew makes me like him a lot and i just kind of have to live with that um all right so let's go ahead and get started kind of walking through all of the things you know um we start this with uh the song blue by angie hart uh they're setting up at the bronze um and something that has never happened before in all of buffy we get a title credit, which has only happened once before with Once More With Feeling, but we get a title credit and a timestamp. And it is November 12, 2002 at 8.01 p.m., which is the exact moment the audience was watching this, right? Um, and I've always wondered, like, why would you, why is that important? Why is that a move that this episode is making? It's putting us in a temporal space with the stories, making them even more intimate and immediate. And of course, if I had been watching at that time, it would have been lost on me because I never know what day or time it is. But still, I mean, I think it was a nice touch for the people who are not like me and would have actually put that together. Um, so we hear this song, which talks about being alone um, while reaching for connection. Can I make it right? Can I stay the night alone? Right. Um, which is a referring um, chorus in this song. Um And we see each of our main characters out in the world, each of them alone. Buffy is patrolling in the graveyard, Spike's at the bar, Willow's studying the campus library, Dawn's returning home from a day at school, except Andrew and Jonathan. Although Andrew is about to be alone because he's about to kill Jonathan. So that's the only one that isn't alone. And I find that kind of interesting. Well, and Andrew feels alone. Jonathan doesn't Mm -hmm. count in a way because when Warren shows up, he says something about you keep leaving me. Right. So his sense, Andrew's sense is that he's alone, even Mm -hmm. though he's with Jonathan, which, you know. And he can't be with Warren either. Yeah. You know, like he's he is essentially separated from from everybody. And, you know, can Willow kill me, too? Do you think Willow can kill me too is so interesting because he is willing to die to not be alone. Yeah, that's some potent mental gymnastics that's there. Some stuff. Right? <laughs> that's some stuff. And it's it's interesting because we end on this line, can I make it right? Can I spend the night alone? Just at the moment that Buffy is no longer alone. A vampire claws Hello. up through the grave and then she says, here we go. And that's the beginning. That's our cold open. That sets up the tone. That sets up everything for this episode. And I think it does it beautifully. Yeah. It's an overture. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. we mm-hmm. open, we literally open the episode with the band tuning up. Is that what you call it when it's not an orchestra? I think so. I think so. Tuning up when <laughs> yeah. it's a ba- Anyway, which is something that you might expect to hear at a live performance. Mm-hmm. And especially Mm -hmm. at the symphony. I mean, the Conversations Mm -hmm. with Dead People is a story symphony. It's an elaborate composition in three or more movements, right? And it's characterized by a harmonious combination of elements, Mm -hmm. which is what a symphony is. So that musical musical beginning is Mm -hmm. that tuning up, I think, is the overture for the symphony that follows. And I love this with the song because, you know, we get this, can I make it right? Can I stay the night? But we don't get alone until the last second of the episode. Mm -hmm. They don't actually say the word. Like, you know, it's there. Mm -hmm. You can feel its place in the lyrics, but you don't get it until the last second. And so Mm -hmm. it feels like that is regret, self-doubt, and loneliness. Can I fix Mm -hmm. what I've done wrong? Like, this is something you would say as you are dying. I am reflecting back on my life. How can I fix things? Why did I mess up? Can can I do this by myself? Right? We're going to die alone. Mm -hmm. But the the people in death who are having these conversations, 
don't represent regret, self-doubt, and loneliness. They each show up with certainty. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean... Um, and shamelessness. Yes, absolutely. You know, so you've got mm-hmm. this vampire giving Buffy, you know, emotional therapy from the evil undead. You've got Joyce telling Dawn with certainty, Buffy will not choose you. You have yeah. Cassie with certainty telling Willow, you're going to kill everybody. You know, and you have Warren telling Andrew, this is part of the plan. So, like, I love that contrast. But the mm-hmm. the musicality of this and the connection of the themes with the lyrics. God, I will watch this episode, like, every freaking day. It's so good. It's so good. I know. All right. So let's start with the first story, uh, which is Andrew and Jonathan. Um, we open with Jonathan and Andrew bickering about coming back to Sunnydale with a plan to fix everything they did wrong before. Um, they go to the high school. They're looking for the seal of Danzelthar, which we have now named, uh, looking for proof of what's going on to give to Buffy so she trusts them and doesn't send them back to prison. And maybe lets them join the Scoobies. Andrew has some fantasies. Um, They check their walkie-talkies. They split up. And when Andrew turns around, Warren is there and tells him that death was all part of the master plan. And when they find the seal, they're going to become gods. Um, So Andrew and Jonathan join up again in the basement. Andrew sees ghost Warren standing in front of a door. Behind it is a room with a dirt floor. They dig. They talk about high school. Jonathan says he misses everyone and he wants to reconnect. And as he talks, Andrew's making eye contact with Warren and then he tells Jonathan that no one from school wants to talk to him they don't care about him and I love this from Jonathan too because I feel like this is central to the very very short-lived unfortunately Jonathan arc because he is very very short-lived at this point um, where he says he still cares about them and that is why he's here to do right by them Mm -hmm. Uh, they uncover the seal Andrew pulls out the knife stabs Jonathan leaving him to die his blood creeping into the cracks of the seal and I think that this out of all of the stories is you know the least um impactful um it's it's a big moment at the end when andrew kills jonathan like that's a big deal um but we are also seeing this you know kind of uh, coming in and out as it's intercut with all of the other stories and after you know all of the stuff that we get from the other stories this is like okay you know um but i do i like it i like that uh you know we have this whole thing at the end of season six with we didn't do anything We didn't do anything. We're not bad, right? Um, And here is a moment where Andrew is willing to both kill and die to be included, to be part of something, to feel like he belongs. And in the end, he has killed Jonathan and he is alone. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, Warren is not there for him. You know, he is just he's just killed Jonathan. And there he is by himself. Uh, The one thing that he was doing this to to be able to avoid being by himself, you know, Um, and we're going to get more of his perspective on what happened there when we get to Storyteller. Um, But I actually really like this because I think that Jonathan and Andrew were always kind of played off as funny but harmless when actually they do a great deal of harm and they are responsible for what happened to Buffy and to Tara and to Willow. Um, and they, their inability to take that responsibility and the way in which they were written so with so much humor and funny and like, oh, aren't they cute boys will be boys. To see them here and Andrew being weak and murderous um, and easily manipulated. Um, I, and I think it's interesting. And Jonathan also with his very, very short kind of redemption arc, we're going back and we're going to make it right. Um, I like it, you know, as much as it's, it doesn't have the impact for me that the rest of the episode has. I actually like this. I think we're doing something with them where we're holding them responsible finally for what they've done. I like the location of the seal. More than mm-hmm. I care about Andrew and Jonathan. <laughs> and, and and this is a stretch because y'all know everything in my brain goes to curriculum and education and learning. But yeah. to me, I like, <laughs> I so love it. you have this, so episode seven is this huge shift for season seven, right? We are about to do something mm-hmm. new. We are, we are yeah. about to introduce the biggest bad that has ever batted. And mm-hmm. the source of this, the thing that has to be cracked open is in the basement of a school. And so they are literally breaking open a new channel of possibility. 
right? Mm -hmm. This is going to be a thing that has been sealed. And we are now going to open this. And by opening it, the world is going to change. And Mm -hmm. I just love the symbolic importance of having that in what should have been an institution of learning because mm-hmm. the world is going to change. Like the world is literally going to change at the end of this season. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, hell yeah, give me the great seal, whatever. Put it in the freaking high school. <laughs> yes, ma'am. That's where it goes. I would have also accepted the library, but all right, <laughs> I like it there. But it has to be buried, Kelly, because hidden yes. curriculum. Correct. I love uh... you so much. Yes. <laughs> Hidden curriculum. This is what we're doing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. No, Andrew and Jonathan, I mean, I've said it before. I love them more Mm -hmm. than I feel comfortable with. Yes. I Mm -hmm. love what I love about the Andrew and Jonathan story here is that we know exactly where this is going. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like with the others, the other vignettes maybe we're not so like what is happening with dawn where is this gonna go with buffy and this Mm -hmm. you know psych vamp 101 but andrew and jonathan it becomes pretty clear from Mm -hmm. the get-go where this is going and there's something mm, enjoyable question mark about knowing oh this is Mm -hmm. not gonna go well like this is (laughs) this is real bad this is going to go to mm-hmm. a dark place real fast. I I like it. I like the way we know it's coming and then it happens and it's it's brutal. And we get that music swell as Andrew stabs Jonathan. And it's just it's heartbreaking because they're mm-hmm. both after connection and Andrew doesn't. Andrew doesn't understand that this is not this is not how to get it. Jonathan mm-hmm. was on the right track. Jonathan is I mean, he is thoughtful in the sense that he's thinking about the place and the people there. And Andrew is so mm, just just um, at odds with his desire and his role he still doesn't know what his role is when he says to warren Mm -hmm. you don't know how hard it's been to be this cool (laughs) like he is freaked out but he is willing Mm -hmm. he's willing to do this awful thing for the love and connection that he thinks he can only achieve by doing this horrible thing i mean i think it's a lot Mm -hmm. i think it's a lot deeper than it needs to be <laughs> or mm-hmm. then it then it may be meant to be but I I enjoy it I really like it I like it too I think it's good um the next story that we go into is Buffy and Holden from high school uh Buffy starts to fight with the vampire that reached up you know uh from, through the ground in the, oh, in the opening and he recognizes her as Holden Webster from high school Buffy has no idea who the fuck he is he reminds her and they reconnect he tells her about his psych major shares some gossip and then defangs um he asks how she's doing she tells him she's the slayer she's not really excited about it and he starts poking at her issues connecting with people and Buffy pushes back while they argue Buffy's phone fell out of her pocket rings a few yards away unheard um, Buffy lies back on a stone sarcophagus later and talks as Holden asks questions this very familiar uh, client lying on the, the couch while the therapist talks uh, and asks questions and probes into their psychology he tells her that she has commitment issues they talk through her romantic background he brings them back to reality acknowledging their status as mortal enemies about to fight to death um Buffy's not excited about it because she knows she's going to win the fight and he's going to die um and he accuses her of feeling superior to everyone else she says that she's actually beneath everyone else and we see her struggling with that idea um he says he's here to kill her not to judge her so Buffy confides in him about her relationship with Spike saying that she wanted to be punished for having all this power that she didn't want and didn't earn she says she's worse than anyone she's actually beneath her friends and her boyfriends she's not worthy of their love um and Holden says she can't win she's got 
got a superiority complex and an inferiority complex about it. Um, she says it does make sense, but he says it does make sense. She feels alone. Everyone feels alone because everybody is until they die. And I think that's when we hit on this theme for this episode. Um, he suggests they get back to the death match and they have a warm moment. She mentions Spike's name and Holden says that Spike is his sire. Buffy says that's impossible, but Holden insists and she dusts him. Um, all right. So how are you guys feeling? Noel, what do you have to say about this interaction with Holden? I hate this. I hate oh, this. I hate yes. it. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. Okay. So, mm-hmm. all right. All right. All right. All right. I, there's a lot of hate about it. But one of the biggest things I hate about it is that by... <laughs> blah, I can't even talk. I hate it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things I hate about it is that Buffy tells Psych 101 Vamp that she's the Slayer, which is true-ish. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. hate with the fire of a thousand flames on the sides <laughs> of my face Buffy's no one knows what it's like to be the Slayer thing. Faith is still alive. Yep. You know who understands <laughs> Buffy? Faith. Faith is also the mm-hmm. slayer, you numbskull. I am so tired <laughs> of Buffy. Mm-hmm. No one understands. No one knows what it's like. It's like, yeah, someone, there is someone who understands and knows yeah. what it what it's like. And we just pretend like she does not exist and like she never existed. Mm-hmm. And I am so tired of the faith erasure. I yeah. really, really hate it. And I wonder how much of it connects to the rough sex erasure (laughs) i'm just i don't know maybe it's just me but i am increasingly exhausted by buffy's rumination on soulless sex and Mm -hmm. partly that's just because we don't get to see what's supposedly so terrible except that they end up under a rug somehow (laughs) oh 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 being swept off your feet and under the rug is a saying right that's a saying i don't know i just I'm just so tired of it. Mm -hmm. Faith was always the better slayer for a number of reasons, but one of them is her lack of rumination. She understands Mm -hmm. that she's exceptional and she owns it. Now, Mm -hmm. maybe she doesn't have the connection to own it in the healthiest of ways, but she's not apologetic about it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated that the soulless sex angle seems to factor into both Buffy's inferiority complex and the world's gross mistreatment of faith mm-hmm. because faith is a bad girl, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. ladies, if you're going to do kinky things with or without undead partners, you'd better feel real super bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny though, is that this is the episode where I felt like, and I, I love the interaction with Holden. Like this is honestly one of my favorite things in this whole episode. Um, I love the way that they talk. I love the fact that he is uh, psychoanalyzing her, um, that she is kind of struggling with her stuff. And it was the best description to me of why she was ashamed of what happened with Spike. And it was because it was mutually abusive that she didn't treat him well, that she didn't love him, that she didn't care about him. Like, not that they had, you know, kinky rough sex. Although I do think, Noelle, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of kink shaming going on. And and we have, I think, traditionally in the discussion of of this um, relationship um, kind of equated rough sex with this is bad and abusive. The ways in which it was bad and abusive were emotional, not physical. The physical stuff looked pretty fine to me. Um, But uh, but anyway, yeah, so I, I actually liked the way that it felt like she was ashamed because she treated him so badly and didn't care about him but not because they were having rough sex, or at least that was my read on it. But that's the thing, the soulless Mm -hmm. thing, the idea that if you're having sex with somebody, it needs to be deep and meaningful and like emotionally fulfilling as well. Mm -hmm. And not the idea that if something is just physically pleasurable, especially if you are a woman, Mm -hmm. that that is inherently wrong. Oh, I think you're absolutely right about that as a message. But it was the emotional abuse I thought that she was ashamed of when she talks about it here. I don't think she is abusive to him, though. She's very clear up front that she doesn't love him. 
She, she felt to... she was, though. She said the things that I said to him, the things... I mean, she beat the shit out of him in Dead Things. Like, call him an evil soulless thing and beat the shit out of his but face. But we're never addressing that. It always mm-hmm. seems to come back to... Yeah. I had sex with this soulless vampire who loved me and I didn't love him. Okay. We're not... You know, yeah. there's no... Like, if what she feels bad about is I he was treat he was attempting to treat me like a person and i was treating him like an object mm-hmm. or i beat the shit out of him when that was not mutually agreed upon mm-hmm. you know if we were addressing that i think i would feel better about it but it still to me comes back to this mm-hmm. like anything I mean, we're har- we are fucking harsh about female desire on this yes. show. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if you are a if you are a feminine of center person who has the gall to express any sort of sexual interest mm-hmm. or sexuality beyond that is not romantic flavored, <laughs> that right. is that mm-hmm. is harshly you know treated i mean sometimes it's sometimes it's super harshly treated but it's always mm-hmm. something to be ridiculed it's always something you should feel guilty about or you should feel shame over and it never if we're, if buffy is going to ruminate on her mm-hmm. poor treatment of spike it need, we we got to be more specific. I think so. Like I read this one as finally not talking about the sex as the shameful thing, but the way she treated him as the shameful thing. But I do agree with you that this is historically, textually, we have a lot of evidence for that's not it. And they're not specific enough in this episode for us to really say 100% one way or the other, which one they actually are talking about. I read it one way and you read it another. I think you probably have more textual evidence on your side. I mean, possibly. Mm-hmm. I like Buffy's realization that she doesn't feel worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we had dug into that a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. that would have been interesting. But her, the thing that she ruminates on, the line that comes back over and over again in this episode and in others is the things I've done. It's like, okay, that's like the broadest category. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you talking about? Because if she's grappling with the day-to-day reality of being the slayer and mm-hmm. having to make those those decisions about who lives and who dies, whether they're a demon or not, mm-hmm. and that's... There, there's more conversation with dead people that needs to happen here. It's what I'm saying. Like, we we need, need to be specific. more specific. Define we your goddamn terms, right? Yeah, define your goddamn terms. <laughs> Cite your corpses. Let's do this. Kelly, what do you think? How do you like this section? So I like this section because it mirrors one of my favorite scenes from the series. Um, mm-hmm. I like instruction while fighting. And so there is one of my favorite interactions between Buffy and Spike is when she wants him to teach her how he defeated the other Slayers, you know, and they, so they have this conversation as he's telling her, you know, about this and he's, you know, you're kind of a little bit in love with death. They fight, Mm -hmm. they learn, they fight, they learn. Thus ended the lesson is one of the sexiest lines. I, I just love it. And so here we have the reverse of that where Buffy mm-hmm. is teaching Holden about being a vampire. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, your face changes. Oh, this is how this works. You can do this. And then she teaches him what a sire is. When you turn mm-hmm. someone into a vampire, you sire them. It's also a noun. I'm like, oh, my God, you're defining your... Ch-. Like, I freaking love it. <laughs> but I, I love the, the mirror there because now we have seen Buffy as the student while fighting. And now we're seeing her mm-hmm. as the teacher while fighting. And both of those scenes are connected to Spike, who is connected to Holden. Mm-hmm. And so I like it for that a lot. Okay, I, I like that. it more now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely improves upon uh, hearing Dr. Jones talk about it. Um, All right. So we've got the Willow and Cassie story. Uh, Willow's in the library studying when Cassie pops in to say hi. Uh, Willow is understandably freaked out because Cassie is, you know, dead. She tells Willow that Tara asked her to come see Willow. Um, Cassie tells Willow that Tara is sorry she can come herself, but 
Willow killed people, you know, so she can't talk to Tara. Uh, Willow talks to Tara through Cassie and Cassie says Tara can hear her and is crying. Willow says the grief is a giant hole and it's not getting better. And Cassie says it can get better because Willow is strong like an Amazon. And oh my God, I wept through this whole part. Willow confides in Cassie, uh, telling her about what she did after Tara was murdered. Um, Cassie says that the power is too much, that things are more clear on the other side. And she tells Willow that she can't ever use magic again. It's too dangerous. Uh, Willow argues and says that, you know, it'll be okay. But Cassie says that Tara is saying that Willow will not be okay. She's going to kill everyone. And the only way to prevent herself from killing everyone is to stop doing magic entirely. Or she could just kill herself. And that's when Willow realizes what's going on. She confronts Cassie, knowing that Tara would never tell her to kill herself. Cassie grins and tells Willow that the pain that's coming is so much worse than what they've already experienced. She says she's over the good versus evil, balancing the scales thing, and she is going for a big finish. And then she dissolves in a really demonic grin that eats her whole body in a weird yeah. little effect. It's yeah. So good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how are you guys feeling about this section, this part of the story? Oh, man. I mean, when Willow cries, I cry. Like, that's just, it's the rule. It oh never fails. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love this. It's so good. It's so good. But I know Kelly has all of the thoughts on this, and I'm <laughs> so excited to hear them. I have so <laughs> many thoughts. Well, I love the dissolving grin, that spreading grin. It's like very Cheshire cat. You know, yes, and yes. I love it. Mm-hmm. Tara Willow in the first. I'm like, oh my god, this this is this is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that Cassie only says she. She yeah. asked me to come talk to you. She still sings to you, but she doesn't say Tara's name. And I think the mm-hmm. first isn't allowed to say Tara's name. Um, yeah. She can't take Tara's form. I'm like, yes, because Tara is too goddamn good for this world. Um, <laughs> but I feel I have felt for a long time that Willow is actually the protagonist of season seven, if not mm-hmm. perhaps the entire show. And I feel like this yeah. interaction sets up that argument mm-hmm. because the fear sows doubt and fear in everyone else. But it needs mm-hmm. Willow dead. Willow is the primary obstacle. Kill a slayer. Oh. Another will take her place, but Willow can make all the Slayers come into their power. Willow can create an army to defeat the first army. Um, Mm -hmm. Willow can unlock the power of the Scythe. Willow understands that a world can be fundamentally changed. The girl Mm -hmm. hacked heaven. (laughs) She understands the connectedness of the earth. She Mm -hmm. understands the depths of her own power. And even though that scares her, she will fucking go there if she has to. And so mm-hmm. I think that the first wants Willow dead and I would be willing to bet that there would be a power disruption or like a shift in the balance of good and evil if Willow did take her own life. Mm-hmm. If she listened to Cassie, if she gave in to that, you know, that huge emotional need, that hope of seeing Tara again, but her mm-hmm. intellect and her knowing outweigh those emotional wants and she outpowers yeah. the first here, you know, in their very mm-hmm. first interaction. She knows she matters. She knows Tara would not want her dead. And she knows that what is happening here is more than just conversations with dead people. And I fucking love it. And I love Willow. I love that. We're just standing on our chairs and like cheering now. (laughs) Like that ever just. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Banging yeah. pots and pans it. together. Like, it's just... <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first is fucking with everybody, but it is trying to end Willow because Willow is the premier threat. And I love that. And again, this is another thing like, you know, this is a fully spoiled podcast. This is something like this is potential that we did not actually fulfill um i think we do to a certain degree i mean willow is definitely the most powerful one um but we don't center her in the storytelling the way that we really could with the story that's going on with her this season yeah. you know um and i like that um i have a tara headcanon about this that the first can impersonate any dead person except for tara tara is fighting from the other side she did something to prevent that and i kind of love it yeah. i believe that tara is on the other side you know, doing what she can to uh, to prevent the first from doing what it's doing. And I just I love it. I love that Tara is that good, that Tara is that powerful um, and that Tara is, you know, um, the other half 
with Willow. And I just, I absolutely love it. Um, all right. So next we have our Dawn story, right? Again, Dawn is a badass. Um, She's at home being a kid, listening to music, singing to her pizza, uh, borrowing her sister's shirt, getting pizza stained on her sister's <laughs> shirt, microwaving marshmallows. This is all fabulous. She's on the phone with Kit, right, from Lessons, the, the girl that we saw in the first um, episode. We never see her again, but at least, you know, she still exists within the universe. Um, so when Dawn goes to check the front door, she hears noises. It blows open. Her phone disconnects. The electricity goes out, but the TV keeps playing. She unplugs the TV and it keeps playing. So we know that things are you know getting weird um she moves through the house as other electrical devices keep going including the microwave and the radio as she's about to smash the radio she hears joyce's voice saying her name um Dawn calls Buffy's phone, of course, gets the voicemail, um, begs for her to come home. Um, and then she asks Joyce to speak to her again through the radio. Um, while behind her, we see Joyce's dead body in the couch on these flash of lights, which is just so creepy. Um, then the lights flash again. Joyce isn't there, but there's writing and dripping blood on the wall that says mother's milk is red today. And ew, um, the lights flash again. The writing is gone, but there are pounding sounds in the house. Dawn screams at the noises to stop. And they do. She stands stands up and she tells the knocking that it's one for yes and two for no. And she asks if it's Joyce, we get one knock. She asks if Joyce is okay, two knocks. She asks if Joyce is alone, two knocks. Dawn tries to talk to a thing growling at her in the darkness. She challenges it and sees a demon strangling a white-eyed Joyce on the couch. She tells it to let her mother go and it swings at her with an axe. She runs the door as it tells her to get out, which also is one of Dawn's signature lines. Get out, get out, get out. She stops and shuts the door, refusing to leave her mother alone with that thing. Dawn performs exorcism rituals to cast the demon out, and it attacks her, slashing her face and her arm and blowing the windows out. She finally casts the demon out. Blood splashes against the wall. Dawn falls to the ground, exhausted, and then a warm glow fills the room, and she looks up to see Joyce smiling down at her. Joyce warns Dawn that things are coming and that when things get bad, Buffy won't choose Dawn. She won't be on Dawn's side. Joyce fades away as Dawn cries. Um, all right. So uh, my personal feeling about this is like Dawn is, is seriously a badass um, with no supernatural power, goes against, you know, this demon that is tormenting her, finds a way to communicate with a mother who cannot speak to her once for yes, twice for no. She figures all this out. She refuses to leave. She does an exorcism ritual, all of this by herself. You know, um, I kind of love it. Um, I think that it's it's really an interesting choice. It's also one of the more horrifying things. Like, I think that each of these little short stories that are going on kind of come at horror from a different space like Buffy's is a psychological internal torment um you know Jonathan and Andrew is um is kind of a scary what are the things that you will do what are the things that a person will do you know how far will a person go um you know we have uh Willow and Cassie and kind of this creepy psychological manipulation but we have Dawn like bleeding and there's blood everywhere and her mother's dead body Body behind her, that moment where we flash on Joyce in that dead pose that she had. When Dawn says, Mom, Mommy, the way that Buffy did when Buffy found Joyce dead um, in the body. Um, all of that, I think, is really interesting, really fun. It doesn't make any sense <laughs> if you think about what the rules are. Um, but I, I like it as a character study for Dawn. Um, Kelly, what did you think? I was wondering, I love it. I mean, Dawn is amazing. Mm -hmm. But it is a very elaborate scheme for, for yeah. this. I mean, the whole house gets destroyed. All the electronics. Yeah. So you've got like this poltergeist and then this mm -hmm. demon and then this physical attack. And I'm like, first of all, why why put all of that together for Dawn? And then what physical entities are helping the first with this physical attack? Like, I right, really. That's the whole thing about the first. Yeah, I really, really like it. But I'm like, OK, but but how does it make yeah. sense? with what's going on. It doesn't make any sense. I, I like it. it makes sense. I says, think oh, it makes sense. Oh, what you got, Noelle? Well, okay. I think it makes sense in terms of the manipulation of Dawn. Because mm -hmm. if she had been home just, you know, enjoying her anchovies on pizza and her microwaved mm -hmm. marshmallows, which pause for delight. Yes. Come on. Yes. So, mm -hmm. so just Oh, God. Dear. I love her being a kid. 
I so nice. love her mm-hmm. delight at microwaving a marshmallow. It I makes know. me so happy. know. And the way she sings to the anchovies. Yep. Yep. And well, she'll think it's blood. It's so good. It's so good. So if Joyce had appeared, mm-hmm. just appeared to Dawn in her like glowy white light, you know, mm-hmm. angelic form and said, something bad is coming and Buffy will abandon you. Yeah. I don't know that Dawn would have believed that. Mm-hmm. But she has to fight to talk to her mother. Yeah. Which makes that... Which which puts a weight on that payoff for mm-hmm. her in terms of what she is willing to believe and accept. Mm-hmm. You know, you work for it, so it's more valuable, I think, is the idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tormenting her so that then we can plant this seed of, yes, this is your real mother and she looks beautiful and loving and not mm-hmm. demonic and monstrous and she right. would not lie to you or manipulate mm-hmm. you. She's here, you know, in her glowing white light to tell you the truth about what is coming and you can trust that because you fought through the darkness to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a mini heroine's journey for her. And we have to do that because she is the only one who starts out happy. She Mm -hmm. has the innocence of childhood still. She's kind of on that. She's on that edge, right? Where she's Mm -hmm. beginning to believe really strongly in her own capability. And I love that she casts the demon out with her own capability. I mean, that's what the invocation is, Mm -hmm. right? I cast you out by all the power within me, I believe is one of the lines. Mm -hmm. And all the people who love me. Yeah, Yeah. hot damn. Mm -hmm. Like Dawn knows what's what. She is securely attached. And Mm -hmm. the demon or the evil is there to shake that up for her and give her that sense of aloneness and isolation that everyone else feels. Mm -hmm. Everyone else who is older and who has just been, you know, who has lived through more life than she has, has had that experience Mm -hmm. just by nature of having been, you know, in out in the world longer in part. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's Dawn speeding through that process of trial and pain and struggle and rejection to get to this prize at the end. And that's what makes it so impactful for her. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's my read on it. How does it work? Like what is actually happening? How is the first? It's a haunted house, guys. (laughs) (laughs) The first, but I mean, the whole thing about the first, as we we haven't discovered this yet, but we will, is that it cannot uh, take corporeal form. Like it has to manipulate other things into doing that for it. And it does manipulate, like we see it manipulate other humans. We haven't really seen it manipulate other demons. And the demon is both there and not there because it's able to flash in and out of reality. But I mean, Dawn is physically bleeding. The mm-hmm. house is physically disrupted um, and mm-hmm. torn apart. Um, so there are, it is able to take in a sense a corporeal form and do corporeal like real physical damage which is not consistent with what we later learn about the first that's the only thing it's kind of a quibble but i think you're absolutely right on on how it works narratively how we build up that dawn is working so hard for this and then when she finally gets it not just her but we are all i think more inclined to believe it until we see of course you know like cassie is not tara and we see that evil and we know that this thing is fucking with all of them um but uh, but yeah i think it's i think it's a really good uh, segment um i like the way that that story is told it's creepy it's scary and it highlights dawn's badassery um you just can't ask too many questions about it I mean, Dawn it, it destroys sense. the house. Dawn destroys the house more than the the no. demon does. No, the she, demon blows the windows out at her. That's true. The demon, the place is in. Yeah, that's all stuff the demon does. The demon does stuff to her. I mean, it cuts her. She's bleeding. You know, like it's yeah. The demon does that. The wind is blowing and it tears the place apart. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't the know. evil. The evil seems more mm, amorphous in mm-hmm. Dawn's vignette yeah. than it does elsewhere. And it mm-hmm. kind of, it almost undercuts the the theme of conversations with dead mm-hmm. people, except that, of course, that's Dawn's goal. 
let me speak right. to my you know my mother is trying to talk to me i need to talk to mm-hmm. my mother um i just had a yeah. thought yes this is not in my notes so it may not be articulate okay <laughs> but joyce died in that house yeah in that room yes. and then yes. dawn started a ritual to bring her back mm-hmm. and stopped at the last minute so maybe there was residual energy Ooh. or power from that mm-hmm. that the first was able that to tap the first into. Was like that. I'm completely maybe. making that up. There's no textual evidence to support it. Ah, but I, I say, like let's the go idea. With it. Let's, <laughs> let's headcanon that shit and move on because it's really, really good. And I like it. And the fact that it doesn't make sense doesn't really bother me that much. Um, the last part we have, which is basically, I mean, the tiniest of all of the stories is the Spike story. Um, at the bar, Spike is drinking alone. A woman sits down next to him. Um, later, we see Spike walking her home and they lean toward each other like they're going to kiss then he vamps out and he bites her and drops her dead body on the ground and we see his face all bloody um so we have this moment where we realize that spike's redemption arc and this is right we see that right after hearing about um holden being sired by spike um which we know is impossible because of the chip but something's going on. Um, and we have this like ruined redemption arc. And the thing about a redemption arc is that it sits on the edge of a knife. And that's part of what creates the tension and what makes a redemption arc so much fun is that we see somebody who has no other chances. Like this is their last chance to redeem themselves to finally be better. And um, we see this in Spike. Spike got his soul. He went out and he suffered for it. He's been, you know, having all of this struggle, you know, with what he's done and who he and what he is. And yet here we are once again in the battle between the monster and the man and the monster is winning. And um, I love this turn so much because here you are thinking that we're going to be getting this redemption arc for Spike where he's going to be sitting there broody and feeling all bad and being all Byronic and whatever um, like Angel. And yet we get this twist of the knife at the end of this episode. I love that reveal. I love that moment. Um, At the same time i'm like no but yes it's wonderful <laughs> no but yes <laughs> no but yes all right so what do you guys think about that noel i love that spike's conversation is the only one we don't hear mm-hmm. and he's uh, the dead person in that conversation well i like that both parties are the mm-hmm. dead people in the conversation well she is yeah mm-hmm. spike because he's hashtag still dead uh-huh and his date <laughs> at the bar in the prescient sense She's a yeah. dead woman. Mm-hmm. I love it. I yeah. didn't register immediately that Spike was part of this, what, quintuplet, this, yeah. this five-point Five point story theme. star, yes. Because mm-hmm. we don't hear the conversation, but I think that mm-hmm. not hearing the conversation makes that, that turn at the end more impactful. Yeah, and can't conversations be physical too? I mean, aren't oh, you communicating? You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. find that interesting, Kelly. What do you think? Oh, I, I really appreciated Noel pointing that out. His, you know, that's mm-hmm. the only conversation we don't hear. We don't hear Spike's mm-hmm. voice at all, so he's yeah. completely mm-hmm. silent. Therefore, not truly himself. Mm-hmm. You know, which I just find so interesting. Um, yeah. But Spike was also the one who helped on. When she wanted to cast that spell to bring Joyce back, which I think is very Mm -hmm. interesting. Spike seems to be the source of a lot of Buffy's taking these Mm -hmm. things to therapy topics. Yep. So -hmm. he connects there. Um, And and I just find that really, really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, That the, the, the two who experience violence where they're on the defense... Yeah. Both of those interactions have a direct relationship to Spike, who we do not mm-hmm. hear from for the entire episode. Oh, God, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. All right. So here we are. We've talked about everything. We've wrapped it all up. Now we're on what is your favorite part? Dr. Kelly Jones, as our special guest of the week, what is your favorite part of this episode? I love how fast Willow figures this out. She shifts mm-hmm. in two seconds and says, who are you? And I'm like, yes, God mm-hmm. damn it. Stand up and applaud. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Noelle, what's your favorite part? It was going to be Cassie evilly chewing the scenery, but <laughs> it's Kelly saying, cite your corpses. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. It's so good. Um, I love Buffy and Holden talking and fighting. Um, it's the kind of tonally dissonant harmony that Buffy strikes a lot, but this is a grown-up version. And I got to say, I dig it. No pun intended. With the grapes. <laughs> but, um, intend but, um, your puns. <laughs> intend your puns. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, follow at Chipperish on Twitter and use the hashtag #StillPretty. Or as a Patreon supporter at any level, you can join the Chipperish Discord group and chat live with other listeners and the hosts. Patreon supporters are getting exclusive content like Let's Watch Roulette, where Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd and I react to a randomly chosen movie or TV show for $5 and up supporters, while $10 and up supporters get to attend show recordings live. We have a whole bunch of them here with us, and it is loads of fun. Uh, We've also got a new stretch goal. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we're in the mid 400 somewhere now, uh, we will unlock the monthly chip chat where I will host a private one-hour Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now is the time. Speaking of supporters, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abigail, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers, desde abajo te devora, it eats you, starting with your bottom. (laughs) (laughs) While you're waiting for the next episode of Still Pretty, here are some things you can do. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or commit. Be committed. Be a committee. Thank you to Dr. Kelly Jones for joining us this week. Kelly, where can the good people out there find you? Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones, and I am also in Discord. Yes, you are. Okay, we'll be back next time with Sleeper, the eighth episode of season seven. Until then, hello, two years of Taekwondo and vampire strength. I think someone's counting their chickens.